Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with first team performance physiotherapist at Brighton Hove Albion, Adam Johnson, and first team sports scientist and strength and conditioning coach, also at Brighton Hove Albion, Josh Hook. tuned into this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So after putting out on Twitter and speaking to a lot of people with regards to what kind of guests people want on the podcast in the future, a lot came back saying that they would either love a manager or more of an interaction between members of staff. So up in this episode today is Adam Johnson and Josh Hook, who both work at Brighton Hove Albion in the Premier League and both work in the first team. So it was great to get these guys on because as you'll hear in a couple of minutes, they work really closely together and it's really interesting to hear how they try to implement research into what they do in their day-to-day work. Now the focus of this episode was actually that, bridging that gap between research and practice and maybe what is the ideal world as has been showing the research but how that differs to what can actually be done in the real world with players, with constraints in facilities, coaches, etc., etc. So really interesting chat to get uh, from these guys on how they work around that or how they work with that and try to uh, try to maximise their their time and resources. The more the lads can sort of, they look at it and they go, do you know what, you know, I'm not going to do the full programme. So you might get four exercises out of them. You know, if there was four exercises there, you'd probably get two exercises out of them. So programme at the minute, you know, it, it might be a potentiation exercise followed by a really like ballistic movement, for example. You know, if the lads just want to do the potentiation exercise, well, that's fine because it's essentially that strength. So, yeah, just do, you know, do, do the, the, the first, the third um, yeah, and the fifth exercise and then you're done. But just before we do get into this episode, I want to say a big thanks to Vald Performance for sponsoring this episode today. So if you haven't heard of Vald Performance, they are the guys behind the Nordboard, the Groin Bar and the all-new Human Track. So if you haven't heard of either of them three products, visit valdperformance.com or follow them on Twitter at valdperformance. So their all-new Human Track system is a motion capture system which integrates the Xbox Connect and four IMUs worn on both wrists and both ankles. So Human Track has been initially validated against the gold standard in Vicon with some really positive initial results with some more to come which will be openly available via the Valve Performance website when they do become available. So if you, like I said, if you are interested in getting to know about any of them three products, visit valdperformance.com or follow them on Twitter at valdperformance. Also sponsoring this episode today is Forstex. So big thanks to Forstex for their continued support of the podcast. And if you are looking for a force plate hardware and software solution, visit forstex.com but also have a little look at episode 139 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So that's at strengthofscience.com forward slash 139, where co-owner of Forstech, Dr. Daniel Cohen, goes into a lot of detail with regards to all aspects of jump monitoring. 
Um, it's certainly not a sales pitch for Forstex, but you can get a real understanding of the capability and ease of use of Forstex uh, as re with regards to the, the software. So if you are interested, Forstex.com is their website and follow them on Twitter at Forstex. But over to the podcast with Adam Johnson and Josh Hook. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So this evening, I have the pleasure in speaking to Adam Johnson and Josh Hook. So welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks very much for having us. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Absolute pleasure to have you. So we're going to, just to kind of take the lead, we're going to structure the podcast in terms of trying to bridge that gap between what it says in the research and what actually goes on in practice um, at the football, at Brighton Football Club with the, where these two guys work. So just before we do get into that, just want to give us a bit of background. We'll probably go with, because um, Adam will probably lead the discussion at the start, we'll probably go with Josh first with a bit of background on yourself and what your current role is at Brighton and what you've what you've done before. Yep, okay. So uh, I am the uh, first team sports scientist, strength and conditioning coach uh, at Brighton Football Club. Um, I've been in this current role for... Just coming up for three years now, um, and before that, I've probably taken the more, I suppose, the more conventional strength and conditioning route. In that, I was an intern, went through the academy, um, and then you know finally got got the break with the first team. Um, in terms of my education, uh, I did my undergraduate uh, in sports science um, at Brighton University, uh, and then I did my masters at St Mary's University, and that was in strength and conditioning, which is actually uh, where we where we met, wasn't it, Rob? Absolutely, the good times. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and then uh, during this time, I did my uh, NSCA, CSCS, and the UKSCA accreditation sort of alongside studies and, uh, and working. So, yeah, that's about it, really. Nice. So what, so what do you went, where do you do your undergrad? Uh, Brighton. Brighton, okay. Yeah, okay. Sweet. Over to you, Adam. Yeah, uh, so a little bit different to Josh. Josh's obviously been at Brighton for quite a long time. Uh, I started out, did my undergrad uh, physiotherapy course up at York St. John. Um, then started to move into football, so did a few part-time jobs, then got an internship at Reading, um, worked with the first team there, uh, and then stayed on there in a paid role within the academy uh, for another 12 months, so did two years at Reading. Uh, then went to Millwall, uh, was their head of uh, academy sports science and medicine for 18 months, uh, which was a really good role uh, for me, learning opportunity and working with a real good group of coaches there. Um, and then moved down to Brighton uh, now just over three years ago. Uh, but started off as head of academy physio, uh, so did two and a half years in that role uh, and then moved up to the first team uh, when an opportunity became available in the summer. Uh, so I've been doing this role now for nine, ten months uh, since the beginning of this season. So more of a focus now, obviously, back in first team football uh, and more kind of job role is performance physio, so looking at the injury prevention side of it and, and working closely with Josh to see what we can do in the gym with the boys to kind of keep them out there and hopefully put them in a good position to uh, to be out on the pitch and performing. Nice. Do Brian have quite a, a decent record of pushing people through from the academy to first team? Yeah, I think so. I think that was... Um, Josh actually interviewed me for my... 
uh, role as head academy physio, um, oh, nice. and that was one of the the things that I said in my interview. That would, reason I was keen on the club was because people like Josh have been there for a long time and come through. Um, I know, obviously, you spoke to uh, Will Abbott, who's been again at Brighton a long time and, and moved up and progressed within the club. So I think that opportunity is there, and um, I think that's important for us, um, and that's why hopefully we've got quite a good working relationship because me and Josh work together in the academy and then kind of come back together now in the first team which makes it easy you don't have to rebuild those relationships it makes it nice smooth transition hopefully mm-hmm. is there a decent relationship not yeah this person relationship but working relationship as well between the academy and the uh, and the first team are you on the same site by the way and I've never been down to your place yeah, yeah. so um yeah, we're on the, the the same site. We're actually in the same office as the as the oh, staff. And I suppose you know just what AJ said there. It, it really does help that you've got people that have, have experienced the academy side and then go you know across to the first team. You know the, the transition is 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 a fairly smooth one. Um, and you know it, although you're not you're not in each other's pockets, uh, we. We all show an interest in, in you know, what we're all doing. That we've got some great staff in the academy, uh, likewise in the first team. So, you know, we can all learn from each other. I think, um, and well, I, I hope that the the academy sort of see it the same way. Looking at the first team, <laughs> nice, cool. We'll move on to the um, the main part of the chat, which is going to start with Adam on the yeah. on the screening side of things. So firstly, do you want to talk a little bit about what how you define screening? And then we'll have, well, you can have a little chat about in an ideal world, unlimited resources, unlimited facilities, unlimited manpower, what you would do um, to tick the kind of screening box. And then we'll have, yeah. move on to actually what you do in, in practice at Brighton. Yeah, so I think um, for me, screening, I think it's, kind of seems to go in and out of favour quite quickly. Uh, if you look at the discussions and um, it's that really good editorial in BGSM, BJSM uh, recently uh, regarding kind of not throwing um, screening out completely just because maybe we can't 100% predict injury with it. Um, there's a lot of other values to it. Um, and I think if you were to kind of have the ideal case I personally think we're not far away uh, with what we do at the club we've got a very comprehensive kind of medical and, and MSK screen when the players come back in pre-season um, but I think the issues that we maybe have um, looking at the reliability I think ideal case you'd use things like isokinetic machines to get a real good reliable and valid measure of kind of muscle strengths um, looking at joint ranges of movement things like that and and not not pinning your hat and saying we're just doing this to predict injury and we see no other reason for it I think in an ideal case um, you'd obviously have an opportunity to retest uh, throughout the season um, which then gives you an idea because your players are coming in probably at their worst um, in pre-season so you're screening them at a time when you've not seen them for six, eight weeks and then if you rescreen them probably again six weeks later, you'd get a completely different athlete once they've had that intense pre-season period. So I think in an ideal case, people would retest uh, quite regularly with screening um, and then look at that to see not only how is your player kind of looking uh, from an injury risk point of view, but also what 
what influence have you had upon them as an athlete? Uh, so looking at it from a, that performance side of things, not just constantly focusing on um, risk factors, but also what positive effects have they had? What the work, the hard work that they've hopefully put in over that period of time, has that been beneficial? Um, so I think that's an ideal case of kind of regular retesting uh, and providing the athlete with information to again hopefully improve their buy-in. Um, as I said, I think I think we get quite close to that. I think the retesting is difficult uh, because of obviously the the demands of the season and trying to find that window where you can take all the players and perform maximal testing potentially in in season. Uh, there's going to be a, a reluctance maybe to do that from players and coaching staff uh, because we don't want that. Ultimately, everything's about the Saturday, uh, so we. We're trying to avoid impacting upon that. Um, but I think there's a definite argument for even mixing up when you test players. So um, in an ideal case, we want to know what that athlete maybe looks like when they're fatigued. We know fatigue is a big risk factor uh, to injury. Um, and we maybe don't test them. We test them when they're fresh on that first day when they come in. Again, they may look really good, but how does that athlete how do their ratios react when their quad to hammy ratios um, add to abductor ratios react when they're fatigued? Uh, so I think that's, again, getting looking to progress what we do uh, to put it closer to the ideal case scenario. So if I, if I can sort of add something to that, Rob. Um, Go for it. So there's actually there's an interesting article uh, in the British Journal of Sports Medicine uh, by Alan McCaw, I think 2014 or, or 2015. Um, so it touches on the perceived risk factors, the ways of identifying them, and the most common interventions uh, in like the top division football teams. And I don't think we're doing anything really too different. I, I'm not sure if if other clubs are doing anything too different. Um, I, th- I think we're all sort of looking at the same thing. So for me, the difference really. It, it, the difference has to be in the delivery of the content and the adherence to the content. Um, yeah, that, that's that's for me probably probably the the, the most important thing. You know, the the, the adherence to these the, the interventions. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it's something that comes up, as you can imagine, or you've listened uh, all the time with regards to getting players to do what you want them to do. Obviously, that's the the key to it all. Yeah. Um, but how do you how do you guys go about it? And it, it come like I say, it comes up a lot, and it's it's a fluffy area. It's um, it's something that can you know sometimes can't be pinned down, but as best you can. What do you do to kind of maximise that um, to get the athletes doing what you want them to do on a regular basis? I, I suppose the key is the educational aspect of it. I think we have a responsibility to educate the players in you know what we're doing and why we're doing it, and I think. Um, you know, they're not silly. They know that if something is good for them, it's effectively going to positively affect their career, then they're more likely to do it. So, and I think a lot of us probably forget the responsibility that, that, that we do have um, and, and we assume that they know what we know. Um, but most often than not, that you know, they don't. Um, so, yeah, that, I mean, AJ, if you've got him. Yeah, I think just things like, Again, I think it'll probably come up quite uh, as a constant theme, but I've got real interest in kind of hamstring injury prevention. And um, like Josh said, Josh said, educating them, but also 
challenging them. So just simple, again, it's not, not just us that's doing this, but things like leaderboard, it boards with weekly kind of Nordboard max forces that we've been putting up on the TV screens and the gym. And it, it stimulates some sort of debate um, because the players want to know why they're not on there or why they can get on there because ultimately they're, they're competitive beasts. That's what their their job is to be better than that person in front of them, ultimately. Um, and even if you look at it, it's a team game, but ultimately they, they do have to be selfish. They want to get the... They want to play in the Premier League. They want to stay in the Premier League now for us, hopefully. Um, so they've got to do. They've got to be better than that person in front of them. And I think if you give them that that challenge and almost maybe sometimes show them up that they're not the best, um, but they can get there or show progressions that have been made. And that's where that screening comes in to say. Um, and for us, we've we've looked at rescreening that eccentric knee flexor strength and. This season, we've noticed kind of statistically significant improvements in that. Again, if we can educate them with that and we can say, look, the work that you've done over this period of time, it has had an impact. It has had an influence. Things like body fats that, that Josh would do, you, the hard work you put in is worthwhile. Um, and then if it isn't, then that's for us to, to sort out and discuss with you and just kind of be be open really and I think willing to have debates because people come from from different clubs different countries and they have their own beliefs and um they're not they're not wrong like that's work for them to get them to that point so it's how can we work with that to keep them in line with being able to match the demands that we would require for our match day and our training outputs um with the work that we're doing so in terms of that, in terms of that screening, I know you, it's it's a. I don't I don't want to go too deep because I don't want you to end up saying something that you gets you into trouble. But is there any more details you can give in terms of what that what that screening process actually looks like? And obviously, the ideal, like you said, would be to retest regularly. Mm-hmm. Are you able to do that? And if if so, how regularly or how irregularly? Yeah, I mean, I think um, our screening kind of takes the form of a whole day or a whole two days when they first come back in. So it's obviously quite comprehensive and we're, we're not going to be able to retest that three, four times a season. So um, for us, it is kind of picking from a kind of physio point of view, looking at it now, we're looking at picking up key markers for me that are, are I kind of recognised as, as risk factors and research-based or research influenced uh, decisions that we can make. So things like the NOR board uh, is a real obvious example of something where we're getting the players to perform, um, but it also acts as a constant screening tool for us. So we can see if we're getting positive outcomes from the exercise plans that we're putting in place. So that's a real obvious example of something that we're constantly screening um, kind of from a, mobility and again don't want to go into it too much because it's not something that I perform every day but obviously we have the monitoring tools which will look at some flexibility markers and things like the adductor squeeze again things that everyone knows and again it's just about how can you utilize that and hopefully if the players see that there's a reason to do it um, and people will again even if it's just a conversation not everyone needs 
a half hour treatment every single day. But if you go to them and you say, I've noticed this over the past couple of days, are you all right? Do you need anything? The opportunity is always there. Again, I think they probably value that more that you're looking for their side of it as well. Because again, we know the subjective side is massive as opposed to just the objective. Um, I think that's important. So they're the kind of ongoing screens that we would do. And sort of building off from the, the sort of monitoring aspects, uh, not just, you know, for, for testing purposes, but when the lads look back at their scores, you know, you can see there's actually a training effect as well. So, you know, that that time isn't wasted for them. You know, they feel like, oh, why do I have to do that? Well, actually, you're getting much stronger uh, and, and therefore a lot more resilient. So there, there is there is a, a benefit sort of on, on, on that side of things. So, yeah. Um. Josh, one th- one thing for you, I think, would be quite interesting. Well, for me anyway, is because you've been there quite a while. Obviously, you've moved through the leagues. Is, have you yeah. noticed a difference between how much you have to educate these guys in terms of why you're doing what you're doing? Yeah, yeah. Is, um, is it different so, across the leagues as, as you've moved up? Yeah. So, uh, firstly, I mean, there there is a a huge, huge difference in um, in certainly what we do, um, and uh, and actually the the players themselves, there's a huge difference as, as sort of the club has grown. Um, in terms of the sort of educational bits and bobs, I mean, it really all depends on the individual players that you've got. Um, I think, you know, going back maybe six or seven years, you know, you've, you've got some individuals that that know, you know, quite a lot about, about sports science and, and don't really require that level of input that, that other players, you know, might need. But... Generally, you know, as as you'd expect, as you go, you know, up through the leagues, you've got the players that have probably, you know, been in an elite setup for a bit longer. Um, so more often than not, they know what you're doing, why you're doing it, because they've done it at a previous club. And, and, and if they haven't, then again, it's up to us to then educate them to then go on to another club um, and, and give them the sort of resources they need to be a little bit more independent. Is it obviously better players come through as you are coming from other clubs as you move through the leagues? Is there anything that really stands out? And if anyone's asking this question before, is it something that pops into your mind? What is different between the guys who played four years ago to the guys that you've got there? And not in, obviously, we know like the probably better, play, probably better players or the players have got better to move up the leagues. But what are you seeing day to day that? feels different about these guys as you've moved through the leagues is there anything that stands out um there's nothing really that 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 stands out to me i mean it's, it's I, tricky. I don't feel like i've stitched you up there no no no, no. You know, it's it's tricky because like i say every individual is different and and, and yeah. some players that that have you know a certain characteristics or, you know, uh, who are more motivated or, um, you know, have a, a slightly different view on sports science. You know, it's every player is different. I suppose as as you get, you know, a, a few more players from overseas, there's a little bit more of a, of a, a cultural issue, I suppose, um, in that it's quite difficult to, to persuade somebody, you know, that's been persuaded otherwise at a different club um, that, that what we're doing is the way to do it, you know. Um, and of course we believe in what we do, but, you know, from that, from that point of view, it's very difficult. It, it is, it's difficult to, um, 
yeah, to try and get our point across, especially if they don't actually speak English. Um, which, yeah, okay. uh, sometimes it, it, that is quite challenging. Mm-hmm. Cool. Less so about what I want to. You ask your question. That does it, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just thinking it needs to be less about what I'm interested in and more about what we do, what we chat. No, 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 if you've got a question, just yeah, far away. No, sweet, sweet. So, um, just to move on, and something that it kind of amuses me a little bit, and that's the activation side of things. And I think it's probably the one thing that is most on show especially before games and, and like TVs normally get access to training grounds when teams are warming up because they're obviously allowed to watch sessions and stuff. So it's something that's on the TV a lot. Uh, and it's probably something that gets butchered a lot as well. Um, so that's like activation, like I say. What, does, what are you looking to achieve and what do you actually do in terms of your activation sessions? Because everyone's doing activation sessions now, whether it be small groups yeah. with different different yeah what what are you looking for yeah i think for this is kind of be my big thing since i took the role um at the beginning of this season this has been the thing that i've been kind of asked to look to improve and develop um and i think ultimately activation is a word for it um and it's a word that is quite maybe easy for the the players to understand they realize it's something they're going to do before training uh, so our boys will do it the 20 minutes before they go outside um, and it'll lead into that. So it's, it's an easy title to kind of put to it for them. But I think what we're looking to do uh, is to get additional kind of loading stimuluses into those players. Um, so it's a good opportunity for us to provide them with posterior chain loading, adductor loading, single leg stability, um, control work. Um, which we may not have access to them to do as regularly. Uh, so it's a way of us kind of hopefully developing our athletes to be a little bit more robust. Um, and I think kind of there's some real good research out there, again, looking at hamstring and Nordics, that if you, you can, we know we can develop those physiological kind of changes, um, but if we take it away or we're not consistent with that, uh, then that drops off uh, and they'll just return to baseline. So I think maybe less so in the league that we're in now, um, but kind of it, it gives us, you know, if it was a Saturday, Saturday week, we get kind of three, four extra loading sessions in. And if they're 15, 20 minutes of time, you get an extra hour of loading and kind of, injury prevention work um, and strength work into them without them really realizing they've, they've got their boots on they've got the gps units on they don't they don't maybe necessarily associate it as being a gym session but what we're trying to achieve is the a similar similar sort of thing um i think again uh josh has talked about um alan mccall before but he did a, a kind of discussion uh, a few years ago about injury prevention strategies and again I think we're not we're not doing anything different like a lot of the the exercises we're looking to include they're not they're not groundbreaking like the Askling protocol uh, we're looking to get that in there that's not groundbreaking that just that isn't just us but what we hopefully try and do quite well is that consistency um, and we really try and keep that going um, no matter what so it doesn't matter what what week it is, what 
training there is there's always going to be an opportunity for us to get an activation kind of loading session into those players um, and I think again it's it's difficult because I think as you say they get get kind of butchered a little bit because because um, there isn't great research behind injury prevention sessions uh, it's difficult to elite sport is a difficult area to do research in um, and I think that's why the the recent work of Joel Preslin looking at those kind of low repetitions for Nordics, stuff like that's really, really valuable for us because we're, we're not going to be able to prescribe 90 repetitions of Nordics a week for our players. And we know, again, Marshall looked at the fatiguing effect of the Nordic. We're probably not going to be confident enough to get our players performing sets of Nordics prior to training, knowing that they're going to have decreased EMG activity in the hamstrings, which we then we recognise as a risk factor. So um, that's why we, we're trying to bring what the, the research says um, and what there is out there a little bit closer to, to practice because there isn't really that much research out there. Again, the FIFA 11 Plus is a kind of well-known injury prevention strategy that people are uh, are researching and noticing real significant decreases in, in injury rates. But again, not not maybe necessarily that elite setting where we're providing them with strength gym sessions. It's more in the kind of recreational setting where they go from nothing to something and therefore something is, is better than nothing. Um, but yeah, I think that's where injury prevention gets a maybe a bad rep because the research is difficult to perform and therefore, things like lumbar pelvic control, that's that's difficult to quantify. So how can we say we're improving it or how can we say that is a risk factor? Because it's a, a real complex area to objectively measure. Um, but I think what we're just trying to do is be consistent. And we believe that by providing a consistent stimulus, we will be putting the, the athlete in a better position. And if I can sort of add on to that, I think um, Paul Reed he does, he's done a lot in the area of injury prevention, uh, and he published a paper in the Journal of Sports Science in 2018. Um, and the research concluded that the stimulus um, isn't enough to mitigate the risk factors for injury. So for that reason, it has to be regular. Um, Although this was in academy football, I feel as if many clubs would experience the same challenges um, with like time restraints. Um, and therefore probably can't perform the activation sessions as regularly as they probably want to. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Adam and Josh. Hope you're enjoying part one. So over in part two, we uh, focus on, on Josh's area, which is the, the gym and the, the strength and conditioning side of things. How he structures sessions, how he gets buy-in from players, how he kind of manipulates the program to get what he wants out of sessions with certain players who may not be as uh, enthusiastic um, in the gym as they are maybe on the field. So really interesting part two coming up. But just before we do get into part two with Adam and Josh, just want to say a big thanks to Black Box Fitness for sponsoring this episode today. So Black Box Fitness are a specialist gym equipment provider based in Belfast in Northern Ireland. So I've heard lots of great testimonials from uh, from clients Premier League in Premier League football, in private gyms, and everything in between of the 
quality service that Black Box currently provide. So if you are interested in a full gym fit out or just little bits and bobs of equipment to keep you going, make sure you consider Black Box Fitness. And if you are interested, you can follow them on Twitter at BLKBoxFitness or jump over to their website at blkboxfitness.com. They also put some cool stuff on Instagram, uh, so make sure you uh, jump over there and follow them on Instagram as well. So thanks to them guys for sponsoring this episode and over to part two with Adam and Josh. So it, it, what's the, what are the logistics like when you're setting up these activation sessions? Are you grouping players together depending on what you feel each individual needs or likes or wants? Or is it everyone together? How do you? How, what's it look like on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously the ideal would be to have twenty-five individual um, kind of injury prevention slash activation sessions for every single player. Uh, but I think obviously logistically that's not really possible. Um, so we will look at it. Kind of myself and Josh lead the the main training group uh, prior to training. We'll provide them with those kind of five consistent stimuluses in a, a Saturday to Saturday week of knee and ankle stability, posterior chain loading, lumbar pelvic control, adductor loading, and then kind of some mobility work dependent on how soon after the game uh, we're performing the sessions, um, just kind of ease them back in a little bit. But then off the off the back of that, we will do a little bit more specific group sessions so there'll be little groups of five six uh, which one the other physios uh, will take Sean who works with us who's brilliant um, and he'll look at a kind of a single leg group and, a, and an adductor group um, to provide them again just with an additional stimulus so if they come into our sessions they're going to get that anyway but maybe we think they need that extra bit more so he takes them up a level so we keep people kind of at a good good level and provide them with consistent. However, those ones, again, injury history, we know is a, a real big risk factor and people who've had injuries and when they're kind of screened, they they test, um, they give worse kind of outcomes and objective measures than those who were uninjured so and previously uninjured. Um, so we will do that. So there'll be that consistent group uh, and then those other groups kind of taken once a week um, prior to it. And again, I think... I'm always looking to try and improve it. So um, we've done stuff with the goalkeepers. Uh, again, looking at real position-specific activities, working on rotator cuff. And, and again, I think Josh will touch on it, but it's, it doesn't have to be kind of really rigid and you've got to perform X amount of this exercise. Like We try and make it fun for them without them realising. So we look to integrate games in there, um, again for the goalkeepers if, obviously things like wheelbarrow races are brilliant because they, they've got loads of shoulder stability but again we're putting that competitive element in it's better than them just standing there working with a TheraBand for five minutes and getting bored and thinking I'm not going to come back to this next week I'll hide away and miss the beginning of the session so it's about trying to keep it engaging keep it varied um, but keep kind of a consistent theme uh, an underlying kind of um objective outcome that we're looking that we're looking to get from it is it compulsory compulsory session for all players uh so we would begin off pre-season uh with it compulsory um some of that comes down to the fact that we've kind of 
got the players, we can get them outside and the weather allows us to have to perform sessions pitch side. So it's seen as a real that that is almost when training begins. Uh, so everyone's outside. I think as the season goes on, again, things like weather mean if you want to maintain engagement, you're gonna to have to move it into the dome and um people people pick up pathologies as the season goes on um, and we'll need we'll need more specific things. So we're comfortable again that if there's players and we have a conversation about it, players need certain things, uh, then that's fine. Ultimately it's what is what's best for to put them in a position to play. And um, so our group now is smaller than it started the season at, but if you've not had a conversation with us and been prescribed an individual session, then yes, it is compulsory, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. So we'll move on to the uh, gym side of things. So Josh, where Josh takes the hot seat. So in an ideal world, this will be quite interesting for me personally. In an ideal world, Josh, with a Saturday to Saturday, uh, again, another ideal world, what would you what would you do? What would you do with the players? Okay, so ideally you'd have regular sessions with like 100% adherence and full motivation. Uh, so, I mean, you, you'd want completely individualised programmes and like a coach assigned to each player um, to, to both teach and motivate them. Um, we'd also complete maybe a number of sessions per week. Um, unfortunately, we don't have this luxury. Uh, but we do aim to get a strength stimulus in the activation as uh, as AJ sort of spoke about. And and we do sometimes sort of sneak that in uh, because sometimes, you know, it's not perceived as, as doing sort of resistance training, but, you know, actually, you know, it is. Um, and, you know, from, from my experience, um, the players who attend regularly don't experience the, the negative effects of the strength training. So they don't get the, you know, the DOMS that you might get if you only sort of attend maybe, I don't know, two in a month. Um, so, it, you know, it's therefore up to us to educate the players to perform the exercises regularly. I say to the players, you know, just turn up and we'll do the rest. So as soon as they walk through the door, either myself or AJ will, will you know, pick them up. Uh, we'll see how they're feeling, see if they can complete the whole session. Um, if not, the, you know, it's up to us to to adapt it in a way that, that, that they, they can perform it. And, you know, we are... We are closer to the ideal situation um, now as, you know, the, the Premier League fixtures allow us to, to schedule the sessions um, a little bit better, which has been a limitation in the past um, because the championship schedule is, you know, a little bit busier. Um, and, and we've now got good adherence, which, which you know, that's not always been the case. Um, this is probably actually the best that, that certainly I've seen it. So, so, yeah. How much support do you get from the hierarchy up the, is it you know is it is it in the schedule like this is going to be a strength session this is where everyone yeah, is yeah. at this time yeah I mean I was going to uh, sort of touch on it a little bit later as well but um, okay. while we're on the point it's it's we're all sort of seeing from the same hymn sheet that that strength is is a priority um, of course that you know the outside work is you know incredibly important but um, we all, as, as medical staff, we all value the importance of the strength training. And, and if they are strong, then they are going to spend less time, you know, in the, uh, in the treatment room. Mm-hmm. And how much, how much um, influence do the physios, like Adam, have on 
your sessions and, and your planning of it? Yeah, okay. So, I mean, this year's been a bit different with, with AJ coming, on, coming um, on board. So, for me, it's added another dimension to our current protocol, um, and especially with his interest in hamstring injury prevention. So, we all work quite closely, as I say, like as a, as a, as a medical team, and having AJ as well inside the, the gym, it just provides some clarification as to who is actually fit to perform the session, um, what programs need to be adapted, what players need to be deloaded, um, based upon you know I don't know if they are if they're feeling a bit under the weather or or they've got a particular pathology that, that we need to work on. And move on to the, the the good bit. What what does the actual week look like for you? So in terms of structure. Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, generally there's there's one main session, uh, and, and then we sneak in the additional loading sort of throughout the week um, with the players that that aren't playing or aren't involved at the weekend or, or during the games. Um, we have additional sessions, and then we try to marry this up with with what the the sort of main squad do um, in terms of you know working on the intense days. So when they get reintegrated back into training, we're doing so at the um, the, the lowest risk you know risk possible. And I I mean I generally work on like a, a six week mesocycle rotation. So I'll mix up the focus of of the program. Uh, I'm not doing anything you know different from from probably other practitioners in that there'll be a strength foundation phase. You know max strength, strength speed, speed strength. Uh, and, and I'll cycle these biannually, so um, just to ensure that the the adaptations aren't lost throughout the season. And you know, all of the programs uh, that, that that I prescribe have an underlying strength focus. So I strongly believe that that the majority of the unweighted speed work is done subconsciously outside. So I mean, getting the players into the gym to do exactly the same, you know, in a different arena to outside, that you know, we can't quantify load in the same way. Um, I think we're, we're wasting our time and wasting the players' time. So for that reason, you know, everything is is um, underpinned by strength. Mm-hmm. And I do have to be careful with, um, you know, with, with each program that, that it doesn't get boring, you know, because, Gosh. I mean, the adherence to the session, as, as I alluded to before, is is probably the most important thing. So, you know, attention does begin to wander after about you know five weeks of the program maybe but then it's up to me to sort of change things up and, and make sure that we're getting um uh, you know a good smooth transition uh, through the phases for me uh, yeah, I mean, go on mate sorry go on, you sorry. on. You know, if, while i sort of uh, while, while i sort of think about it my job that has uh, you know in the gym has become more about sort of injury prevention with the players that that probably are a little less motivated so it's more about getting sort of the bare minimum that we need to make sure that they are fit and healthy, uh, you know, and can go out and perform. Whereas with the probably the, the more motivated um, players, I think it's more about the, the one percenters. So it, it is more about performance. We can, you know, we can try and improve speed. We can, you know, really push the boundaries. So I suppose the message being you've got to know your players. You've got to know what makes them tick and, and, and whether pushing them too far is going to mean that, Next week, they're not going to want to come into the gym, you know. So it, it's, there's a there's a really fine balance. But I think you know we've done a good job this year, um, and I suppose only time will tell how successful we've been. Um, but I, I think sort of what I've spoken about has been pretty instrumental in in keeping those players on the pitch. Mm-hmm. That just comes to an Adam. Were you going to say something? Then sorry. No, no, no. I think. Okay. Uh, 
I'm just echoing what, what Josh says, really. It's been good for myself to be in the gym and it's kind of getting away from the culture of I can't do it to kind of what can you do. So, again, looking at um, Nordic stuff, players don't want to perform Nordics. We know that. It makes them sore unless they do it consistently, which, again, is what we ultimately want. But just playing around, getting by and using the, the band, which might not be the absolute ideal. We want that exercise to be super maximal. I think that's what the research would generally support. Um, but if we can get a player to perform the Nordic for two, three weeks with a band and it doesn't make them sore and we're getting some sort of eccentric stimulus, then they think then you just sneak a session in without the band and kind of ease them in. So, yeah, I think it's been good uh, this season kind of switching the, the focus onto, right, you've got, say, this pathology, that's fine. That doesn't mean you can't do anything. That means we do this with you or we can do this with you or offer different, yeah, just offer different options, really looking at it from both uh, a kind of performance and injury prevention side. Mm-hmm. Do you set, like the, like you said, Josh, about the guys that maybe aren't as motivated, do you set like minimum, minimum standards for them guys? Like if you've got six exercises, but the minimum is you do three or the minimum you do two or certain. Yeah. 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 Okay. So um, you you pretty much hit the nail on the head. So you know when you look at when you look at the board that I, that I write up with with the session, um, you know it, there are quite a few exercises on it. And to be honest, the more exercises there are on there, um, uh, the more I suppose the the more the lads can sort of they look at it and they go, do you know what? You know I'm not going to do the full program. So you might get four exercises out of them. You know if there was four exercises there, you'd probably get two exercises out of them. <laughs> so, you know, so I make it a relatively long list because um, because I know when they think they're probably getting away with a little bit more than they actually are. So you know, for example, the program at the minute, um, you know, it, it might be a potentiation exercise followed by a really like ballistic movement, for example. Um, and, you know, if the lads just want to do the potentiation exercise, well, that's fine because it's essentially that strength. So, yeah, just do, you know, do the, the, the first, the third um, yeah, and the fifth exercise and then you're done. And to be honest, I'm fairly happy with that because it's something that they wouldn't ordinarily have done. So everyone's happy. Mm-hmm. Do you guys, and this is completely off topic, but just while I remember, do you guys do any sort of like in-house research i mean you have research pre-researching stuff all the time but is there anything that's kind of um not publishable but go into that rigor in terms of in-house yeah i mean i think that that is the next step for us and that's what we're we're discussing at the moment and ultimately hopefully uh we're still in this same league next season and therefore if the team is is backing up that they're a premier league outfit then we need to make sure we're kind of offering them a, a Premier League support. So we want to be research-based for what we do. Like I say, I've looked into our um, eccentric knee flexor strength progressions and we have noticed a, an increase. And again, it's um, our aim by this time next season is to have publishable research um, out there. And again, this, the sample size are always going to be small. We're going to really struggle to get statistical significance from them but hopefully it will be things that will be of interest to people um where yeah it might not be 0.05 p value 
but this has worked for us uh, and this might be useful for you. And I think the more hopefully we can do things like this and share ideas and just stimulate discussion, um, that's that's where we want to go. We want to be seen as a, uh, a kind of research-driven department that, that offers something um, and that's where ourselves and kind of the two of us as clinicians, that's where we want to be. We want to be, we want to be challenged because we're getting challenged by the players um, and we have to, we have to have answers for that or at least have an understanding of what we're doing because again, you go from, as we have done from that academy setting where you kind of say jump and the boys ask how high to now that isn't, that, now we're the ones jumping. response, let me tell you that. So yeah, that's, I think that's where we want to be. Um, and I think now that hopefully we've had a season of um, kind of understanding our philosophy a little bit better and what we want to achieve, we're now in a position where next season we can, we understand what markers we want to look at uh, and, and kind of get real meaningful data from that. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So was part of that just on your uh, website, Adam, was that one reason for that, for, for using yeah. the website to get the challenge? Yeah, I think that like, it's been brilliant um, in terms of access to the people uh, and opinions that you don't get. I think we, um, obviously, it's a, it's a demanding environment uh, and we're, we're there a lot. And we're, as Josh said, we're very lucky that the, the academy and the first team staff are all in one room. So you've got probably 20 clinicians in the room at, at one time, um, which is great. But we are working with the same people, so we need to be challenged. We need to we need to have people question what we do because I think you, you can't tell that as a negative. Um, it's either people are questioning you um, because they want to learn um, or because they have a different opinion. And again, no one's... No one's really wrong, uh, unless you're kind of hopefully not unsafe. But I went and saw um, talk up at the FA Medical Society a couple of weeks ago, and uh, Mo Gimple from uh, Southampton spoke. And it wasn't the main topic of his talk, but the main kind of one key thing I took from it, he talked about the number of managers he'd worked with and wanted to implement something, and it would crash and burn. And then five years later, this a different manager would implement the same thing, and it suddenly works. So I think it's about being aware of the group that you're working with and getting as many different opinions and, and voices to find the thing that works for your group. Uh, and I think that's hopefully kind of what myself and Josh will get across on this podcast. We're not, we're not lecturing to people and telling them, you must do it our way, otherwise you're doing it wrong. It's for us, this is what is working at the moment and we're getting hopefully quite positive results in terms of our ultimate goal of player availability and, and performance. But in six months' time, if we sign six, seven new players over the summer, it might not be the right approach because of different cultures, different beliefs, different injury histories. So I think it's about being constantly aware and reviewing. But yeah, we're definitely not here to say we're right, you're wrong. It's, I think, like I say, we're looking to stimulate conversation and, and better what we do. Um, and we get that by getting different opinions on what we are doing. Mm-hmm. We're coming into the end of the season, which is only a couple of weeks away. Yeah. What will what will success look like to you? Obviously, stay in the Premier League, Premier League next year. But for you personally, as practitioners, what will be what will you be measured against? 
personally and um, club-wise? Yeah, I think I think the thing for us is, uh, for myself personally, obviously as part of the physiotherapy team, if you look at that as a kind of team inside the sports science and medicine team, um, we're looking at player avail- availability. Have we been able to provide the manager with what he needs? Because again, that's that's linked to success. Um, is the players the more you can have your full squad out on the pitch, the more likely you are to be successful. Um, so I think that's ultimately what we're doing. And I think have it's difficult to objectively quantify, but subjectively, have we offered something better than we offered last season? And I think that's what we need to look at. What were we doing this time last year? What are we doing now? And is that kind of a, a better service for our players who ultimately... And they know it. They're the most important people at the football club. They're the ones that need to be out there. So um, have we progressed what we can offer them um, in terms of uh, a service from a, a medical point of view? Is that the same from your side, Josh, as a sports scientist slash S&C coach? Is it the availability yeah, yeah, that you're I mean, measured against? I would sort of um, reiterate what, what Adrian said. I mean, it's all about sort of progression. Are you making uh, strides you know, the, the right way. Are you, um, are you looking at, you know, new techniques? Uh, are you developing yourself um, as well? You know, because we, we talk about developing the players and that, but, but are we developing the department? Are we improving our expertise? Um, are we able to, to give the players um, a better service? Um, and, and of course, rightly or wrongly, you are, you are measured against the, you know, the actual results of the team. Um, and, you know, you, you could have a, an absolute nightmare in terms of player availability. You do very well, you know, and it's been a, a roaring success. But in reality, as a, as a medical department, are we happy with that? You know, we have to do everything we can to make sure that all the players are, are you know, fit most of the time. Um, and come the end of the season, uh, if it means that, you know, we, we've got no injured players and, and we're able to actually enjoy our, our time off and our holidays um, without having, you know, to give too much uh, thought about, um, you know, what we're going to do in the morning with the player, then, then fantastic. Excellent. Cool. Well, I'm going to, um, just to kind of round up, just to ask you where people can get in touch with you. So social media wise, obviously, Adam, with the uh, with the new website, where's the best place? Yes. Yeah, so I mean, um, like like you alluded to, we I've kind of looked to put myself out there a little bit more to be challenged. So I've got um, a Twitter page which is at Prevention Fizz, uh, P H Y S, um, and then from that you can find kind of a link to my blog where it's kind of quite heavily focused at this moment in time around uh, hamstring injury prevention. Uh, but there's also kind of reflections on any lectures that I've been to and. And from a personal point of view, I'm I'm doing my finish, hopefully finished off my MSc at the moment. So, looking at doing a dissertation into kind of hypermobility screening and uh, and the risk factor that that may present to us. So that's something that will be going up in the future. So people that have got an interest in that, again, get in touch, um, kind of via Twitter would be the easiest way. And then obviously from there we can look to hopefully have some really good discussions and kind of more in depth chats and let's say hopefully always open to different opinions and, and seeing what people think superb josh 
Uh, yeah, so um, I suppose LinkedIn's probably the, the the best way to to get in contact. Um, I'm sort of fairly active in in you know replying to people, so and I'll always uh, I'll always uh, you know attempt to to get back to everyone. So you know I welcome any sort of questions, and and ultimately if anyone wants to to share anything. Um, you know, we're by no means a, a you know a closed book. Um, we can always learn things from other people. Um, so it would actually be interesting to sort of spark some discussion. Um, and uh, later down the line, I might do a similar thing to what um, to what AJ's doing with his with his website and that. But I thought I'd do the honourable thing and let him have his moment first. You know? <laughs> Absolutely, you're a kind man. You're a kind man. <laughs> well, uh, thank you very much to you two for for coming on and, and lining it up. It's been an absolute pleasure, and it's great to get two people on from the same club to give a real kind of rounded um, picture of what's going on in that environment. So I really appreciate you guys coming on. No worries. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, yeah, right, thank well, you. Well, I'll speak to you both soon, and uh, thanks again. Yeah. Great. Cheers. Thanks, Rob. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers, guys. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So massive thanks to Adam and Josh for giving up their time to come on the podcast and be so open and honest and critical of, uh, of the kind of things they're doing at Brighton and Hove Albion Football Club. So massive thanks to Forstex, to Val Performance and to Black Box Fitness for sponsoring this episode today. So we've got a couple of duos coming on over the next couple of weeks which hopefully hits some of the requests that came in on Twitter a couple of weeks ago with regards to what guests people want to have on and what kind of, interact- in- what kind of interactions um, they want to hear. So thanks for tuning into the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the content and I will speak to you next week.